think it was Billie Jean King who said to me then that you should use your voice more, you should use your profile more. When I started the Fed Cup job, I realised how much harder, again, you have to work to make things happen on the women's side of the game compared to the men's, because most of the decision makers in sport are men. And of course, they see the world with a male perspective. It's completely understandable, but it doesn't do us any favours. We always, you know, get, get left behind, so we're always playing catch up. So, um, yeah, I think once I started using my voice, I actually probably never shut up. And welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And this is my favourite time of year, to be honest. Wimbledon week. Well, you are a bit of a tennis fiend, aren't you? Complete tennis fiend. I play it, I watch it, I go to it. You wear it. <laughs> Mostly I just wear a tennis skirt everywhere I go. That is true. Oh, gosh. But I love, I do like going to Wimbledon. I like, you know, if I'm lucky enough to either get tickets in the ballot or we get to go through a corporate thing. Mm, yeah. That's really fun. But I have to say, I love watching it on TV. I, I, I quite liked it. I've been to Wimbledon a few times, but um, a long time ago. But I'm not a, quite such an avid fan. Watching on TV, I'll watch the final, but that's about it, really, I'm afraid. But I've done, literally, I can't remember a summer when I haven't sat down and watched Wimbledon on TV. And, you know, it's it's just not the same quite now without Sue Barker. She was an absolute legend, wasn't oh, she? I love her. Love her. And right back to the times when, like, Cliff Richard would entertain the <laughs> crowd when it was raining. Well, that's because of the weather, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, no, no, I remember when Andy, not Andy Murray, what's he called? Uh, I remember when Tin Henman was, you know, got to the semi-final and they created that uh, Henman Hill. That was a very exciting time. That was when I really got back into it a bit, I'll be honest. Oh, that was so exciting. Like, the whole country just went Yeah, so I did, I did watch it then. It's just that for a long time, there weren't many British players who got anywhere near well, that is a true, but we have, we have a pretty now. strong field these days. We do. Um, with Emma Raducanu as well. talk about my daughter. <laughs> I don't think she's playing Wimbledon, is she? Yeah, we've got Emma Raducanu, and I think she's fantastic, but she's been under such pressure since she won the US Open, and she's not going to be in Wimbledon because um, she's had some op- three operations this year. I think, God, her at her age, the pressure and the tabloid pressure, not just the sports enthusiast. I could not imagine that type of pressure at any time, and certainly not when she was 18. Yeah, yeah. I think she'll still do really well, but I hope having this surgery has given her a bit of time out to, you know, just reflect and mature and, you know, find her love for the game because I don't think you can win if you don't really love the winning, love the sport. Yeah, I obviously don't really understand that because I'm... (laughs) Not very competitive and not very good. But it's more, I, if, I think if you, if you won something like that, I mean, really, that, that's the pinnacle of most people's career. Well, it is. Bar one. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a movie right yeah. there, yeah. of course. I mean, but tennis as well, it takes me back to my childhood. And I, I think back now, what I used to do when I was literally probably from the age of eight onwards... I used to hit a ball against my neighbour's garage over and over and over again, like literally hours I would be out there on my own. And then, you know, we'd have a load of kids in the street and we'd all play tennis in the street. We didn't belong to a fancy club. We just had street tennis. That's what <laughs> like the urchin play, yeah. that we I used was to play lane tennis, up. as we called it, so I grew up in the lane. But I used to, yeah, hit against our wall until I smashed a window. And I was in a little bit of trouble with my father. I bet you were. But I used to love that as well. But I only did that about the two weeks of Wimbledon. 
Yeah, we all get in a, into a bit of a frenzy, don't we? It's all Robinson's barley water and pims and strawberries. And, and not, stuff. not when I was eight, no, not pims. <laughs> oh, barley water, you were. Oh, that. barley water, I remember that. Gosh, yeah. yeah. And the sweets, was it those barley sweets they used to have years ago? My grandmother used to give oh, me barley for sugar. Yeah, that's the ones, yeah. It's got nothing to do with tennis, though. Didn't they used to have them? <laughs> No. Who no. had them? What's well, energy? Didn't players used to suck them? I think they had a banana. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you've watched a different game to me. It was all in black and white anyway. You, know, you might be right. Yeah, I, 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 I confess I haven't seen it in black and white. That is true. No, see, Back no. in the yeah, day. So obviously one of my complete idols in tennis is Andy Murray. And alongside that is his fantastic mother who has done so much for tennis in Scotland, for the youth programmes there. Um, Judy Murray is just a force of absolute nature. With the encouragement of Anton Dubeck, actually, who also has um, a fictional series based in the ballroom, write about what you know, and of course she really knows about tennis and all the backstage drama and what goes on. And she's written a book called The Wild Card. Now, for if you're not a tennis enthusiast... Um, a wild card to enter something like one of these major um, Grand Slam tournaments means that you can enter it without having to take part in qualifying matches or be ranked at a particular level. There's your chance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> well, exactly. Me and my hip. Yeah. But that's what the book's about, isn't it? Well, I love it because it really is about you ne- You should never give up on your dream. It's never too late to to, you know... Get out there and and try and, and try achieve whatever it is. And actually, read the book. I like it. I, I really enjoyed it. Did that surprise you that you liked? Um, I wasn't sure, but that's because you know it's the first book. You just never know, do you? But I love that type of book. And yeah. I was talking to some other people about it, and and they said they'd love to read it. Yeah, no, it was good. Nice plot. Um, nice characters. Really good. Um, sort of underlying message about um, the power within uh, relationships. There's a really the good underlining... Yeah, sorry, there's a really good underlining theme which mm. which you'll pick up. Certainly as a woman reading it, you'd, you'd understand. Mm. Anyway, we managed to get Judy to come talk to us and let's invite her in. So an absolute powerhouse of British tennis, Judy Murray is instantly recognisable both in and out of the players' box. Not just as the mum of former world number one and Wimbledon champion Sir Andy Murray and seven-time Grand Slam doubles champion Jamie Murray, but also in her own right, having forged an incredible career that started with tennis coaching but has seen her continually reinvent herself throughout midlife as a dancer on Strictly Come Dancing, a contestant on MasterChef, a golfer winning the Slingsby Golf Academy last year and a presenter on Driving Force. Judy won 64 titles in Scotland during her junior and senior career and aside from her own son, she's coached many players at regional and national level and was elected to lead the British Fed Cup team as their captain, which she says she took the job in part to raise the profile of female coaches and alleviate some of the sexism that she says remains in the sport. Awarded an OBE for services to tennis, women in sport and charities, she's the trustee of the Judy Murray Foundation with the object of improving access to tennis opportunities across Scotland. And now she's doing it again with her first novel, The Wild Card, that focuses on a female tennis player finally following her dreams. Welcome to the podcast, Judy Murray. Thanks for having me. That's quite a long list, isn't it? You are a busy lady. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like quite a lot. And you, it's very easy to forget some of the things that you've done. But I'd have to say that, you know, I, I never set out to be a, a tennis coach. You know, I started uh, as a volunteer at our local club when my kids were tiny. And I did it to get out of the house for a few hours as much as anything. It wasn't actually a coach and never would have imagined that I would end up with a career in well in in tennis and then as you say more recently I've, I've started doing uh doing different things and always I suspect with a wry Scottish sense of humor that's kind of the vibe I get from you that you you've got lots of life gusto lots of positivity and I would imagine I mean life hasn't been easy because you've done all this bringing up your two incredible sons as a single mum yeah I had plenty of uh... I had I had plenty of help, you know, at, at, at home. Their dad was was always around, and um, you know, my mom and dad were lived lived close as well. So, but uh, yeah, I I think you know, being a, a female tennis coach in a very male dominated world of sports coaching, particularly as you climb the ladder, the the, the further up you you get, the the more male dominated it becomes. And I, I discovered that when I started to work more outside of of Scotland and internationally, um, you know, and you, you realise how much harder you have to work uh, to be taken seriously or to make your presence felt. But I, I think that when I got the opportunity to use my profile and use my voice, and that probably came around around the time of um, me getting the Fed Cup captain job, which is the, the British women's team. And that was at the back end of 2011. And in 2012, of course, Andy won uh, the US Open and the Olympics and made the final of Wimbledon and his profile went through the roof. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, obviously that, that helps enormously that you're the mother of two two sons because Jamie had had, had won one of his slams by that point as well and was well at the top of the, the doubles game. So, you know, I, I, re- I remember at the Olympics in 2012, you know, I was captaining the, the women's tennis team there. I think it was Billie Jean King who said to me then that y- you should use your voice more, you should use your profile more. I think also because Andy was not quite as outspoken as he has been in recent years, but he was starting to use his voice mm. a bit to uh, try and effect change with, within the game. And he's always been a very um, great support, I think, for for the women on, on well, in sports in general, but in tennis in particular. So, yeah, I, I, I started to... I started to do it back then. And I think when I was the Fed Cup captain, I had to do it because I had to do a lot of media around that. And, um, you know, when I started the Fed Cup job, I realised how much harder, again, you have to work to make things happen on the women's side of the game compared to the men's. um, Because most of the decision makers in sport are men. And of course, they see the world with a male perspective. It's completely understandable, but it doesn't do us any favours. We're always, you know, get, get left behind. So we're always playing catch up. So, um, yeah, I think once I started using my voice, I actually probably never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Do you think do you still see um, a lot of sexism in tennis or do you think it has improved? I, I think you I, I think you still see it. Uh, I think that tennis um, in many ways, particularly at the top of the game, is the best example in sport of equality between men and women. It, not total equality, but you know it 
certainly in the Grand Slams, there are four Grand Slams in a year and the men and women play at the same venue. They have mixed doubles. The prize money is equal now. Um, and because tennis is pretty much wall to wall on TV every week, um, you know, when, when I was young, you just saw Wimbledon in black and white for a fortnight and right. you never saw tennis on the telly apart from that. But now it's, you know, it, it, it's out there all the time. So in terms of visibility for the, the women's side of the game, endorsement opportunities, sponsorship opportunities, it leads the way. And, and that was really because of the, you know, what Billie Jean King and the original nine, her gang of nine did 50 years ago. It's the anniversary this year, actually, of, of, of them breaking away from the tennis tour because they were fed up with the men getting 90% of the gate and the women getting 10%. Right. And they took this very extreme, in those days, step to break away and do their own thing. And, you know, they went through a really, really tough time to be recognised, you know. Um, but that is why the Women's Tennis Tour is so far ahead of the other sports, because it started much further back. But it does, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely um, it definitely still exists. Um you know, that on the women's tour that you'll hardly find any female coaches, for example. I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's the, there, there are a lot of areas where there still needs to be a lot of work. The, the, we need to have more women in the tennis workforce and we need to have more women in the decision-making positions, that's for sure. A lot of pressure on girls in tennis. And I've been watching Emma Raducanu uh, for the last couple of years constantly getting injuries having a, a real hard time of it the expectation is here and when people loved her when she won the US Open they're now so keen to criticize I think she's a great kid and I would hate to see that that talent is is squashed or she you know mentally it gets in her head and she never achieves the success that perhaps she could have do you have any thoughts on on how she is being treated by the media and a lot of people who don't really know much about tennis, but choose to give her a hard time because she reached success so quickly. That that was a book right there, wasn't it? Her her whole journey. Yeah, I mean, what she did was extraordinary, um, a really incredible thing, you know, to come through the qualifying and win the win a Grand Slam at, you know, at such a young age and completely out of the blue. But of course, it was the fairy tale. Uh, but you know, success always comes with a with a flip side, and for all that, the, there's the fame and the fortune, and you know, a, lots of, of sponsorship deals and invitations to all sorts of of, of things that 19 year olds or she was 19 then um, would just be wow, this is incredible. But you know, it it brings a it brings a pressure, and of course, winning it catapulted her. Um, ranking up to a stage that meant that she was immediately going from playing in the second or third rungs of the tour into the very top tour immediately where most young players would go stepping stones, take their time to go through all the different levels and work their way up and suddenly she was into a world that she hadn't really been, well she hadn't been prepared for, she may have been aiming for it of course, mm. but she hadn't been prepared for it because it's it's not just the level of play it's actually about learning to understand and adapt to the life and business of a pro player, at the, you know, at the top of the game. And, you know, with all the sponsorship deals and the entries into the biggest events come expectation, expectation to perform, but also expectation to give your time to the media, to, to sponsors, to photo shoots and all the rest of it. And it can become incredibly draining for young well for anybody but particularly for young 
young people because you've got you know tennis has got to be the most important thing and it's not just the playing of the game it's the preparing your body for playing at that very much higher level where everybody hits the ball harder and for longer and uh, it, it's just been it's been difficult for her and I think she's just had three surgeries uh, which has obviously ruled her out of the game for a while but hopefully they 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 fix whatever is uh, she, whatever was needing fixed and and she and that bit of time that she can be away from the media and the attention um to to clear her head ensure she has a settled and strong team um around her helping her to make the right decisions for when she when she comes back but she's she's incredibly talented she's a great athlete and she's very very smart girl she's got so much to look forward to but it maybe just was a case of too much too quickly Andy did a great thing I mean obviously the right thing for him to have a female coach at one stage I mean that's quite extraordinary isn't it for a man at the top of his game to choose a female coach I think that was a wonderful platform and did great now he's back with Ivan Nendel but um, let's talk more because you've got this great new book out and I've read the whole thing um came out in June and I love the voice that you use that is you bring the, the the background you bring the secret stuff like it's obviously your background knowledge that adds a, a real depth to the book and what I also love is it's kind of a Cinderella story isn't it it's somebody who was doing great on the circuit but didn't quite get to national level and I'm not giving away the plot here but by entering as a wild card into Wimbledon and how it's never too late to chase your dreams and to follow them. What was your inspiration for the book? I think, you know, I've obviously spent all of my, almost all of my life in tennis. I started playing when I was 10, just started at a local community club. My parents played no such thing as tennis coaches in Scotland back then. Um, And you played tennis in the summer and you played something else in the winter because there were no covered courts. So very aware of what a difficult journey it is to negotiate your way through to get to a to get to a good level if you either don't have an infrastructure around you or the means behind you because it, it becomes expensive when you have mm. to, to travel. And of course my so I was able to bring some of that into the the story of how my 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 Shiro Abigail Patterson um developed through the juniors and of course she she survives some tough, tough um, situations in her young life. And, um, you know, and it is one of the most promising juniors in in Britain. And, uh, you know, a glittering career was expected of her. And then she has to give up on that and comes back many, many years later on an opportunity and takes that opportunity. And I think that it's very much, uh, it it is, uh, it's never too late. You know, it's never too late to have a go at something that you, that you really want to do. And, I think the other thing that, yeah, of course, it, it, it gives some background and, you know, sort of opens up all of the, the, the challenges and the issues that still exist, I think, for, for women at the top at the top of the game or trying to make their way through the game. And, um, yeah, I bet, it, you know, at the end, it's uh, the whole fame and fortune is all well and good. But actually, what is most important is friends and family. Mm, the support. Now, one of the other main themes of the book, of course, is the abuse of power, the power dynamic between the coach and the young girl. Um, and I have to ask, and I'm sure you can't say the name, but I mean, is this based on 
personal experience? Is it based on what you've observed in the sport? Is there, you know, are you basing it somewhat on a real character? It's not. It's not based on any on any one or any particular incident. I think that you know it's been over the last few years quite a hot topic in sport in general, abuse of abuse of power, um, and the need for coaches to be properly qualified, vetted, insured. And I think that when you are in an individual sport like tennis, um, you know it's not like you, you know in a, in a team sport the the coach would be employed by the club and would be paid a salary to have an employment contract and so forth. But in individual sports, often coaches are working without contracts. Often they have no qualifications. Sometimes, you know, they would be ex-players. Sometimes, you know, they're family members. And um, I think that tennis is one of a, a number of sports that's really trying to find a way to vet and make safe the you know that that space and you know i mean only uh, recently the wt which is the women's tour have taken on a head of safeguarding they have a couple of lifestyle managers who've been in place for a number of years now so that the women on the tour have someone they can go to speak to in confidence if they have a problem that they can't speak to the coach about because if you if you think about it most of the women on the tour are younger women mm-hmm. and you're surrounded by a very much older coaching team or support staff. Um, that's if you can afford a, a, a you know a, a group of them. But you know it's very. There are many things that it's difficult for for women to open up to men about. You know, so so putting women in place on the tour where you can go for support in confidence if you if you have a, if you have a problem, which is a, which is a great thing. And I think yeah. safeguarding is another another great move, but. All sports are looking at that as as priority now is making sure there's safe space for women. That is so important. It really is. I mean, do you think your your title character, Abby, she'd been through a lot of adversity and we had Penny Mallory on the show um, a few months ago talking about mental toughness. And both your sons have had injuries. Andy's been through a lot of pain with his hip and his knee and so on. Do you think people who experience adversity in their personal lives or, or their health, do you think they've got more steel? Do you think it makes them like really determined and have that kind of mental toughness to achieve success? Yeah, I think I, I, th- I think they I think they probably do. You know, when you've gone through tough times and you've managed to come out on the right side of it, um, it gives you a huge confidence but it probably equips you with the resilience to fight through any subsequent tough situations that come your way i think it's you know one of the reasons why you know when i'm coaching you know tennis is such a cerebral sport you, you know you're out there on mm-hmm. your own and you've worked it all out for yourself and so therefore when i'm coaching i'm really aware of the demands that tennis will set on young players and ensuring that they are independent, that they can think for themselves, they can solve their own problems. And, you know, it's, it's tough for young people nowadays because they have gadgets to solve all of their problems. I mean, I solve a lot of my problems with my gadgets as well, you know, whether it's Dr. Google or the SatNav, you know, where I used to get a map out. I mean, we all did. But that's the, the, the world in which young people have grown up in. So actually challenging them in, a, in coaching or teaching situations to think for themselves and to solve their own problems. Yeah, problem solving, very is really is really important. Yeah. Um, I love um, in the book as well, you constantly say, play the ball, not the ranking, not the reputation, not the seeding, just the ball. And I play tennis a lot myself. I'm going to 
really try and keep that in my <laughs> in my mind. But that's so true. Just keep playing each shot. The other thing that you bring is, you know, these little uh, backstage aspects of Wimbledon, like uh, seated players getting to use the upstairs bathrooms and the journey as you walk from from the ladies room to the court and you you describe the sense of when you walk onto that court and you hear the noise and and how you're trying to control your heartbeat and your your racing thoughts and put the towel over your head when you're just taking a break to just find your own little bubble. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I, I liked your talk about the mental tactics, the psychological, you know, asking the trainer on court or you know, playing to the crowd. It, it all comes as part of the sort of arena of tennis that's so enjoyable to watch. But, you know, backstage, there's obviously a lot going on. I want to go back to um, your book again, because um, obviously lots of people know you're on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, you did great, got into week eight before you were out, and your dance partner was Anton Dubeck, who himself has written several books about ballroom dancing. And I think he... He was the one that encouraged you to put pen to paper, wasn't he? Yeah, he actually was. Uh, yeah, he sent me his first his first book before it was published and said, would you have a read of this and let me know what you think, see if you pick up any typos, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, of course, I read it, and I actually read it quite quickly because it's exactly the sort of book that I enjoy reading. Good plot, and I, could, I felt like I could see a bit of Anton in the lead character his lead character was called Raymond Dugies and it, oh, I was right. like Here he is. but you know just little bits of things and you, you can pick up his some of his sense of humor going through it but when I talked to him about it um you know because I did Strictly with him I knew how much of a geek he is for the history of ballroom dancing so obviously his novels are set in sort of second world war period right. when you know hotels and cruise ships had resident ballroom dancers and so I, I think because I knew him and how much he loves his dancing activity, of course, um, and he uh, and he said to me, but well, you know, he said I've got all these years of experience of the ballroom world, and he said um, you should write one. He said, look at all your experience and um, all the the things you've seen over the years on the on the tennis circuit, and that got me thinking about it, and I started to jot down one or two one or two things at that point. And actually, he asked, so I said I phoned him and said, you know, how did you get how did you get started? And he said, well, I met a, a literary agent, and he said I'll through through his own agent, and uh, he said I'll connect you. And it turned out his literary agent is is a Scot, and so I I met him a couple of times on on Zoom because it was kind of coming to the end of COVID, and then um, met up and you know, presented some of the, the ideas and so forth. And then um, Orion Publishing gave me a two-book contract, which is, it was great. And they've been fabulous, you know, their women's fiction section, because it's, it was a new to me, new thing for me to do. Um, they were really great on tips and advice and little ideas or embellish that bit or narrow that bit down. And absolutely brilliant. And that's the kind of support you, you want uh, as experts when, uh, when, when it's not your thing so yeah had some great guidance and i just heard you say it was a two book deal so there'll be another have you got a is it going to be a sequel or is it going to be an entirely different protagonist in the next one or have you started it's, it no i haven't started it i've started well i've started plotting out the framework of it so it's no it's not going to be a sequel it's going to be very different and uh 
yeah, it's going to be a lot juicier. Oh, right. That sounds good. It'll still, <laughs> it'll still be set in at the tennis world, but probably not the top end of the game. It'll probably just be, it'll have a tennis background to it. Now, one of the things I love about Strictly is the relationships that are created between partners like you and Anton. And it's not the only time that you've worked with him, have you? Because you decided to start golf. You joined the Slingsby Golf Academy and you won it. That's amazing. It's not surprising, I guess, that a tennis player can turn their hand to golf. But you surpassed every expectation and you won the whole thing. What was it like to be in the Pro-Am at the Wentworth PGA Tour? How, I mean, God, the pressure on you. I can't even imagine to play golf in front of that, the whole spectators. What was that like for you? Basically, the Slingsby Academy, there was just four of us. And basically, Slingsby is a gin company who were one of the sponsors of the BMW PGA at Wentworth, which is a men's event. And they wanted to do something for women in golf. And so they came up with this idea of teaching four well-known women how to play golf from scratch and documenting our journeys in order to encourage other women and girls to take up to take up golf. And uh, that really appealed to me when they approached me to see if I'd like to do it because golf had actually had never appealed to me to that point. But I actually live very close to a golf course. And um, through through COVID, I just saw people playing golf all the time. And I thought, maybe I should try that now. And so I, the idea of learning in six months and at the end of six months, the four of us play against each other and whoever wins plays in this pro-am. And it was great fun because you felt like you were part of a team or a little squad, even though we were all at different parts of the country. And then we got together three or four times within that six month to do promotional stuff, to show different ways where you could learn golf, you know, some of these simulators and mm. fun indoor things. And it, it was really, really good fun. And it was perfect for me because I had a target to aim for. And somehow I managed to win our little playoff. And I got into this um, pro-am at Wentworth. And it wasn't until I arrived at Wentworth and went to the practice range and saw you know, Rory McIlroy, John Ram, they're all there on the practice range. And I literally couldn't move. I, could, I couldn't I could swing the club at all. I, everything went along the ground. And I, I said to my, my, my friend who had come with me because my golf pro, his baby was due. So, um, and I went, let's just go to the putting green. <laughs> did you get, was, did you get jelly arm, the golf equivalent I, of jelly arm? <laughs> I, I don't think I had jelly arm. I think it, it was more of stiffness. It was the real tension. And I just thought, you know what? Six months, this was just a step too far. I, this is while I was on the practice bit. And I thought, oh, of course, your dread is your first shot. And there's loads of people come to watch that. There's about 22,000 people come and watch that program. And of course, everybody starts at, at a different hole. But actually, once I relaxed into it, I was playing with Peter Jones, Dragon's Den, Peter Jones. I'd met couple of times before and JP McManus who's a sort of racehorse owner wonderful wonderful man and Oliver Wilson was was the pro who was could not have been more encouraging more calm more friendly you know and he said listen just remember nobody's come here to watch you play golf because they think you're a great golfer <laughs> they've just come to enjoy the day out and when he actually said that to me I thought you know, that's true. And I, I can laugh at myself easily. And I have to when I'm playing golf, because some of what I'm not so bad now, but back then it was terrible. But it was what an experience to play with, you know, one of the best players in the world, to play with 
two other great guys and be part of something that huge. I never would have imagined I would have a chance to do something like that. Um, but golf has got me hooked now, well and truly love it. And I think after so many years of my life being saturated with tennis for so long, it's great for me to find something that I'm really enjoying as a as a challenge. And the fresh air exercise and the ability to socialize on the golf course, absolutely fabulous at this stage of my life. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? You c- it's a great thing to start. You don't have to have been a kid golfer or in your 20s. You can start all this, you know, when you're looking towards retirement. It's not. It's a great thing to pick up at any stage. I started playing golf last year. I think for midlife couples as well, it's a really nice hobby to take up when you retire, if you can afford it. And there's actually there's plenty of community courses as well. It's a it's a good thing to try and reconnect. And as you said, you know, tennis is a, is a mental game. It's about problem solving within the game understanding the psychological side of it and adjusting your tactics depending on who you're playing and you know as your title character Abby she has that in spades because she's got that wisdom of an older woman being able to adjust what she's doing on court and not worry, being worried about the, the the histrionics or the the tantrums or the the playing to the audience and I, I kind of love that that you know older women basically rock um we do we do (laughs) i have to just ask you you're looking amazing and i know in 2021 you had a non-surgical facelift we talked about this with alice hart davis about tweakments and your sons apparently they teased you about your turkey neck which is clearly not there but you looked incredible and you shared your journey about having you know this rejuvenation um did it give you a lot more confidence well, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a series of three micro needling treatments that, that, that was what it was. It was, uh, you know, I think a lot of the way that it was uh, kind of, for whatever reason, you know, in some of the, the, the tabloids, of course, it sounds much more interesting, doesn't it? If you can call it a, a facelift, which it wasn't. I mean, basically, they, these tiny little needles, they, they traumatize the skin to repair itself it's like perfectly natural and loads of people have been doing it for a long time but I've spent most of the last 30 years outside in the sun you know watching tennis or coaching tennis and I had a lot of sun damage on my face and I wanted to find a way to try and get rid of some of that and also to plump my skin up a bit more and that seemed to me like a really good treatment to have yeah I mean I think you know we all want to try and look our best and I think especially over the last 10-12 years when I've been in the public eye a lot you realize as a woman you are always much more judged for how you how you look scrutinized Um, yeah yeah and and in a way that that men are not our appearances are pulled pulled apart what we're wearing what's our hair doing you know etc etc so um i was surprised that it that having a microneedling treatment became such big news to be perfectly honest but there you go but i did like the the results of it were good definitely they were good hoping that both andy and jamie do great at wimbledon this year i watch every match and i'll be there for the quarters and you'll be there uh ringside courtside won't you i'm sure yeah i'll be there um stressing i i have to say uh I'm looking forward to the day when I can go back to Wimbledon and neither of the boys is playing so I can actually watch relaxed mode. But yeah, I found it since they both got to the very top of the game, I found it very stressful because I think it's a different mindset when you're climbing the 
ladder to the top of the tree. And once you're there, you know, the expectation to perform, to win, etc., is is huge from fans, media, from themselves as well. And yeah, I, I find it quite stress well, find it very stressful. I say to people it's like a mixture of severe nausea and mini heart attacks all going on at the same time. And quite frankly, I'm surprised I'm still alive because I've had whammy of it with the two of them for years and years and years but um there you go there's been a lot of joy and excitement and uh, along the way as well amazing oh thank you so much judy for joining us um and everybody should go get your book the wild card available everywhere have you done the audio book yet are you reading that no i just read the introduction but there is an audio book yet darn i do audio books i'm too late <laughs> <laughs> was nice listening but you probably realized I didn't say anything I don't say much normally but I don't know what it was but my technical skills failed me yeah I know that's such a shame because it was it was lovely to speak to Judy I must say and you were missed you were missed (laughs) I was there (laughs) in spirit at least how cool is it that she and she doesn't have to do this but she is using her voice to draw attention through the plot in her book about the abuse of power And how great is it that finally, you know, sports uh, for women are getting on board with the idea of safeguarding and providing uh, people to listen in a safe space where uh, young women don't get the kind of control that was happening to them before? Well, yeah, I mean, you think about it, you know, would you otherwise encourage your kids to go, or daughters in particular, to go into some of those sports? I know they want to do it, but I would... (laughs) hearing so much about this I would be worried to encourage my young I mean my kids are too old now but you know young kids they've been exploited weren't they exploited yeah I think it was last year that um, former world number three and 22 time Grand Slam doubles champion do you remember Pam Schreit I remember it well yeah yeah so she talked about her inappropriate relationship with her coach and she was just 17 years old and he was 50 Um, And she said at the time that coaching relationships are common in tennis. That's exactly paralleling the the plot that Abigail um, suffers as well in this this particular book. But anyway, good on Judy. Um, I love that she uses her voice. She's really great for the world of tennis. And now... I think she's a pretty decent fiction writer too. I, I agree with you. I do, yeah. I enjoyed that book. Well, go and check it out for yourselves. It's already out. You can get it on Amazon and um, we'll put a link to it on our website too. So that's all from us. All right, chat soon. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.